Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings and welcome to Under Consultation, a podcast guide through the UK video game shows that aired in the aftermath of Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and the following broadcast is an alternative video game podcast. You should prepare themselves for games-related jokes, nonsense, and general hijinks. And trying to work out where my plums came from, I am Ash Versus. This episode of When Games Attack aired on the 21st of November 2004. Grand Theft Auto is top of the video game charts. U2's Vertigo is top of the pops. And Bridget Jones is top of the UK box office with the edge of reason. It's been six wonderful weeks, four fabulous days and seven precious hours. And to make it absolutely clear, one flawless boyfriend. Bridget, what on earth are you doing? Getting dressed. Why are you dancing around in that tent? I don't want you to see any of my wobbly bits. Because I happen to have a very high regard for your wobbly bits. Really? Luke, if we'd gone one box office number one in one direction, we could have had the grudge. If we'd gone the other direction, we could have had the Incredibles. You know, November 2004, I'm now at university. I went to university in the summer of 04. I, I was going to the cinema a lot anyway, but now I'm a student. I'm going to the cinema all the flipping time. Like this is what a student loan is there for. It's to fund me going to my local view and and watching all the movies that are on. Because what am I going to do? Study. I'm not a loser. It's prime time for me to be going to the pictures. And yet here we are, November 2004, November 21st, 2004. And the movie we have at the top of the box office is one that I haven't seen. I don't remember this movie coming out. It's not even a case of I remember this movie coming out and me not being bothered to go and see it. It's a case of I remember Bridget Jones' diary coming out. I I actually remember I had a number of friends, uh, female friends, that bought the book that it was based on and burnt it. That was quite a statement. And then I remember Bridget Jones's baby coming out purely because there was a lot of what the fuck around that. Yeah, it's it's many many years later, and we're doing a third movie in this franchise. 
Careful, man. We're we're skirting dangerously close to Ghostbusters Afterlife with that statement, and we both like that movie. Yeah, but that's yeah, a, a very very different kettle of fish. One of them is like the greatest. It's one of the biggest comedies of the nineteen eighties, and the other one is Bridget Jones, which admittedly still did over two hundred and sixty million worldwide. So no slouch, but I've I've nothing to say about this movie really. It it is a film. There are worse trilogies out there but they're also worse trilogies I'm more likely to watch. Now, if Bridget Jones and that entire canon of films is your jam or even your marmalade, more power to you. It's just not me. And it's not even because it's a romantic comedy film. There are lots of romantic comedy films I like, just not these ones. I actually quite like the first one. I think the first one's pretty good. It's quite funny. It's quite charming. I just I had no interest in going to see the second one. I've not seen the third one either. Not really anything that's particularly on my radar. In fairness, neither is U2's Vertigo, a song that I know, but it's I have never listened to a U2 album. U2 have a number of very successful albums and a number of very successful singles, and it is very popular to take shots at U2. I'm not actually going to do that, and it's not because I'm a U2 fan. It's because... You get songs like Vertigo or Elevation used with the Tomb Raider movie or Sunday Bloody Sunday. They're good songs. They're catchy. They're well written. They're well played. They are good songs. And if they come on the radio, I will listen to them. I may have a little sing. I may do a little kitchen dance. But like you, I'm not going to go out and buy a U2 album. I think we've talked about this before because we've had U2 at the top of the pops on, on a number of occasions now where they've had some like good singles, but I've never listened to an album. And I'm pretty sure I've mentioned before, Hold Me, Thrist Me, Kill Me, Kill Me is an absolutely incredible track, but it does not make me want to listen to a whole U2 album. There are some tracks I like, there are some that I don't. This is one that sort of falls into the middle of, oh, I know that song and I've heard it before, but I've got almost no opinion on it whatsoever. So anyway, when games attack, we have reached a point in our post-Games Master timeline where Games Master returns. Effectively, Johnny Finch is back, Richard Wilcox is back, and Dominic Diamond is back doing a video game show. We're just before we started recording, we were just sort of chatting about when games attack and talking about you know how much we enjoyed watching this episode so it was quite a sort of a comforting watch really i think it's just because it's dominic diamond voiceover it's dominic diamond like particularly the on location stuff that we have later on it's very series five and six of games master and stuff it, so it was kind of a bit of a, a nice comforting blanket considering you know the the path that we've been on for this podcast journey and i watched bits and bobs of other episodes that are available on youtube i think my only thing i i, I sort of I, I had with this episode is it doesn't feel like a video game show it feels like a show that features video games yeah it's it's more of that like ultimate gamer was a video game show gamesville was a video game show and technology show i suppose but you know you got felt the hour somehow gamepad was a video game show bits thumb bandits were this is the first one that we've done that I don't think at the end of it, I thought, that's a good video game show. At the end of it, I was like, that's a good Dominic Diamond show. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I loved it for that. After the the journey we've been on over the past month or so, it was lovely to have Dom back on our screens again. And not only was it lovely to have Dominic back, but by God, it was lovely to have some delicious fucking research resources. 
Yeah, so when they did the oral history on Kickstarter, because of the delays that it had, they released a a novella of sorts, a supplemental chapter. They sort of talked about it was going to go into the book, but then the book ran way longer than they'd anticipated. So all of this stuff got excised out and then released as this all like separate PDF that you could download on the Kickstarter. That was all about when games attack and within that they interview dominic diamond they interview kirk ewing because he appears in one episode they interview richard wilcox they interview johnny finch and violet berlin because this show is tied directly to gamepad because it effectively quote-unquote replaced gamepad on bravo it was nice to not only have the research it was not only nice to go back into those comforting warming arms of dominic diamond it was also kind of scary to revisit 2004 Dominic Diamond, who is a grumpy, grumpy man. If you thought Series 4 of Games Master Dominic Diamond was grumpy, 2004 is a different beast of grumpy Dom. And this is not just kind of reflected in, in the humour on the show. This is reflected in an interview. This is a direct quote. And keep in mind, these two people have prior. Johnny really wanted to call it Video Games Ate My Hamster, says Dominic. But it was deemed too long for those electronic program guide boxes. I wanted to call it, come on, admit it, Gamepad was shit, wasn't it? Again, too long. And that quote from 2004 is directly followed by a quote from Violet Berlin going, it was the one thing he'd said in all those years of slagging me to the press that really pissed me off. And then it's followed by a present day quote from Dominic in the book going, can I apologise again? What was wrong with me back then? Amazingly enough, that quote isn't from that Edge interview. That's from a different interview that he had done or it was from some press thing they'd done. It's not in that Edge article, but that Edge article has some like damning, damning quotes in there. You know, it's having a pop at Ian Lee, like he's talking about having a pop at bits. The Gamesville quote that we read when we did the Gainesville episode, is really just a snippet of what he says. The full quote is, I've got more respect for suicide bombers than I do for the people who are involved with making Gainesville. It's not car crash TV. It's a motorway pileup involving a busload of nuns and a truckload of orphans. I just think, fucking hell, words cannot express. It's like Dexter. What happened? Someone said, oh, what can we do? Oh, Games Master were good. Shall we get a tape of that? And unfortunately, what they got was Series 3 with Dexter. It's all fucking yo, mate. I mean, these guys can't even speak fucking English. That's not a racist thing. They're just fucking morons. And then Johnny Finch sort of jumps in. Johnny Finch in that, because it's an interview with Dom and Johnny Finch. Johnny Finch seems like the level-headed one who's trying to calm Dom down. And Johnny Finch says, I think it's real crime. Is They're not as stupid as they're pretending to be. The real crime is they're acting all street because they think that's cool. It's a very nice, let's, let's have a nice little moderate response to this, eh, Dom? Dom is an angry Scotsman. Johnny is the calm, collected translator. The producer of this show that's trying to promote it. Neither of them are completely wrong. Neither of them are completely right. But together, they make some kind of hold. Because Dom then, you know, reacts to Johnny's comment there by saying, if they're not as stupid as they're pretending to be, then they're fucking smart. We're talking fucking Professor X. It's just so chav. When I think about the effort we made on Games Master with locations and things like that and what they've done is pissing on the grave of all of that. I mean, how dare they have challenges? 
and have them at two fucking school desks. And also, never, ever, ever ask a kid what they think about a game on TV. Who gives a fucking toss? Oh, what's this game? Is it wicked? Yeah, it's wicked. Fuck off. I don't give a toss what some 11-year-old thinks. Don't ever ask a kid what they think about games. We did it on the first series of Games Master. They know nothing. There's a bit when, like, they're talking about bits, and Johnny Finch is going, like, I think bits was the, the best of the lot. And Dom just jumps in and be like, the only good thing was Emily Booth because people can have a wank over her. Amazingly, when this show came out, one of the articles written about it was a blog post on The Guardian by Alex. <laughs> Perfectly level and professional. Not a single shot or jibe in it. I'd put it this way, it, it was so just run-of-the-mill, I didn't even keep it open. Yeah. Alex wrote a post about this, but just played it straight and played it polite. There's an amazing bit in there when they ask him about Dave Perry. And, you know, we talked a lot about the, the relationship between Dom and Dave, you know, up until the point of the Super Mario 64 incident and what happened afterwards. But at the start, Dom's got a fairly measured response to it. Which is just the, you know, on his Games Animal website, he was talking about when games attack. So me and Kirk went onto that website and pretended to be other people to kind of join in the forum posts and everything. And Dave sent a message to Kirk to be like, oh, I saw you're on the website. You know, if you want to join in, that's a, have a great chat. And he's having this sort of like thing. And then all of a sudden, something switches in him. And he says, I've gone past feeling angry at his attempts to rewrite Games Master history in a shockingly inaccurate fashion to feeling intensely sorry for the guy. If that's what makes him happy with his little fucking pictures of Danny Bear, then he's not harming anyone. Let him just be. I mean, as you get older, you realize that to live inside that head is not a nice thing. And I feel nothing but intense sadness. I don't know. I mean, has he done well? I think he's sucking old men's cocks for pennies. Is he married? I think he works hard. If it's happy, he really has so little to do with my life. I suspect I probably have far more to do with his. All of a sudden, it's just like, I feel sorry for him. And then it's just like, and he's probably sucking dicks. It's like at, at this point in time, there is no internal monologue. There's stuff there which should have like, there's a little filter that should have just gone, not out your mouth at this point, or certainly not on the record. That's it. And this Edge interview is, you know, they, they reference it in that sort of like, you know, supplemental novella. And Dom says, of it, by the time Johnny and I took part in the infamous interview with Edge magazine for all the wrong reasons, I was deep in my cups again, so to speak. And it was the most embarrassing interview of my life. I did so many stupid, arrogant interviews in the 1990s and the 2000s. So when I was asked the usual questions about Games Master or other video game television shows and about Dave Perry, well, what I said in that interview is beyond appalling. It is disgusting. And I'm so sorry about it. And Johnny Finch is basically like, it's disgraceful and it should not have been printed. There is an argument to be made there for some degree of editorial control because, and it's happened very recently with newspaper columns. I can't remember who it involves and I don't want to give them the press even if I could, but they write something and it's published and the immediate flack goes towards the person writing it. But there's a whole level of editors and sub-editors that give it the go-ahead. You can feel the writers, not contempt, I don't think that's the right word, but he starts off the article by giving some background to what happened, which is they arrived, and what they arrived to was Dominic Diamond yelling down the phone at a taxi driver and getting really angry at a taxi driver and effing and jeffing with this taxi driver. And he writes, it's not the best start to an interview I've ever been a part of. And I think a lot of that is then just reflected in the way that they write up Dominic Diamond's quotes and stuff and the way they present Dom's quotes. 
on the gamepad thing, you know, he's asked about it and he said, I think it's the biggest media ripoff since the Sex Pistols. I think it was slam an EPK and have some fucking lame voiceover. Make no attempt at humor. It's like fucking hell. Put some alliteration in there. Say something of intellect, something amusing. It was Violet standing there. Fucking lazy, utterly uninspiring. But they did get away with it for a long time. So fucking well done to them. And people who make gamepad took the knock with it. You mentioned Violet's quote earlier, but. Tim, who was a producer on the show, uh, said in an Edge 2005 article, I'm sure I'm not the only person to be irked by some of Dominic Diamond and Johnny Finch's comments. As part of a small team who worked on Gamepad, I can quite passionately say that the show was anything but lazy. We did more than simply slam an EPK. It takes skill, patience, and intimate knowledge of a game to play, record, and edit a narrative-driven 30-second or three-minute feature. Of course, you could always bookend each package with puppets, glamour models, and knob gags. People really did take offense to where Dom was coming from in this period of time. 2004 Dom, you know, we always keep saying like, nowadays Dom is not the same Dom of the 90s. This is not the same Dom of the 90s either. No, this is a Dominic Dom that's in a very, very different period of his life. I'm glad that we, certainly off camera, that we don't spend much time with Dom in this mode of him. Like, I would have quite liked to have met 90s Dom. I'm very glad we got to meet and chat with present day Dom a Dom that is older and wiser and more reflective upon his behaviour, both present and past. But this this Dom's mean. Yeah, I think so. Like, it's particularly in that Edge article, and I think, you know, you mentioned the word reflective there. Look at the quotes that he has in that little novella that was written for the oral history. He's quite embarrassed by this era of Dominic Diamond. And it's not just like, you know, it's one of his his facial hair that, that's in the episode. Uh, I think he's very reflective of this period of his life. And I don't think it's his, his most proud, but what he is proud of is this show. It only runs for one season, but he's really quite proud of when games attack. If anything speaks to how Dominic has changed since those days... One, even though this was obviously originally written for the book and then excised and put out as a bonus chapter, he never had to put this down. He never had to put those quotes in. He it, he he could have left this out of a Games Master book or even in a Games Master-based campaign. And some people might have gone, of, oh, why didn't you talk about when games attacks? But it's not part of the core like function. I'm glad we have the reflective Don we have now. And I'm glad that the Dom that we see on screen for this episode is, it's a grumpy, angry Dom, but it's not a vindictive Dom. I don't think I'd have enjoyed this episode as much if it was. No, it's it's funny how the Dom that is on screen doesn't really feel like the Dom that's in that Edge magazine. And you know what? It is also one magazine interview. And he he does come off badly in that. And I think he knows that. And he probably knew that at the time as well. But it's not what's on screen, and I think that's a that's a good thing. He is still like grumpy. It's just it's not this level, <laughs> this level of burn everything down. Like he talks about in that novella, like what happened between Games Master finishing and when Games Attack, and he sort of openly admits, "I thought the Millennium Bug was going to kill us all, so I quit everything and I moved everyone up to the Lake District, and we sat there on December thirty first, waiting for everything to end." And then January 1st kicked in and nothing happened. And I had nothing. So I wrote a book 
that was a novel that was a big F you to the London media and no one published it because it was unpublishable. <laughs> so I moved back to Scotland and I started from the bottom again. It's a lot like the, his Canada story, really, was he moved out to Canada, everything fell apart. So he just worked from the bottom and worked his way back up. And as we record this, Dom has his regular gigs. He has his purple column. He has his radio show. And he has the Vinyl Vault on Saturdays, which is a syndicated show across Canada, which is playing an entire album back to back with commercials because commercial radio, but with him jumping in in between to talk about various songs and talk about the meaning behind them and what they mean to him. I managed to listen to the one on The Colour and the Shape, the Foo Fighters album. And I, I think someone's asked him if there's any chance that just the spoken sections might be put out as a podcast. And I really hope they, they could be done because I would love for more people to hear those. The other thing to mention about When Games Attack before we get into, you know, the show itself and sort of like, you know, some of the other production stories around it is this show does have a co-host, but that co-host is not featured in this episode. This was not the television debut or the launching pad or anything like that, but Dom was joined, not on screen, but, you know, in episodes by Caroline Flack. And Caroline Flack, sadly, no longer with us, uh, had a lot of struggles throughout life, but did talk about When Games Attacks in her book, Storm in a Sea Cup, and talked about what the role involved, about travelling to Tokyo, and just says the whole three weeks was brilliant. Tokyo is the closest I've ever got to landing on another planet. Everything was different, but everything was the same. It really was like Lost in Translation. She had a great time. Johnny Finch speaks highly of her in the bonus chapter. Dominic says he only really met her at the launch party, but found her dazzling in real life and says that it is a tragedy how her life ended. And it is. I'm not going to go into it here. You can go and look it up because... To my mind, there are still some unanswered questions there about what was done and how it was done. Yeah, it was the one sad note about just covering this first episode is we didn't get to see Caroline on screen here. But clips of her are out there. My first exposure to Caroline Flack was through Bo Selector. What's funny there is that like, I knew her as Bubbles from Bo Selector during all the Michael Jackson skits, but did not put together when Caroline Flack became Caroline Flack such later in life that she was Bubbles. Uh, there was a moment I was like, oh, I think I recognize her from something else when I couldn't quite work out what it was. And then I saw someone share a clip of Bo Selector with Caroline Flack on it. And I was like, that's what it was. She was Bubbles. She was the version of Bubbles in Bo Selector. And I, I thought she was always a very captivating screen presence. It'd be a very, very sad story. Sydney Bristow heads off to Athens, posing as a diamond smuggler, seeking the aid of a criminal expert in Alias in half an hour. First, here's another diamond in When Games Attack. Now, I don't know how much of this will be left in, but the version of this on YouTube that we watched, it's not just complete with adverts. We get the trailers and the bits before the episode begins. So it's bravo. It's the early to mid-2000s. There's a cop block. It's crime time, Luke. Yep, alias and booze, Britain, blues and twos. And police beat. When Games Attack literally has a South Park opening to it. As South Park opens up with that black screen with the white text that just says, like, this is a show, bada bada bada, anyone who is a celebrity on it is impersonated poorly. This has one of its own, which says the following broadcast is an alternative video game program. Viewers should prepare themselves for a games-related jokes, nonsense and general hijinks. And our opening 
video, our opening credits, are, is literally an island being attacked by video games. It's got this very cool sort of like kaiju-esque feel to it on this sort of Hawaii location. And I, and I think that's quite nice. You know, when games attack, the games are literally attacking the credits. And to me, at least, I had this kind of slight feeling of connection to Games Master Series 7, maybe just because it was that kind of an island setting. And, you know, you had Hula Girls rather than Girl Fridays. And I, I don't know. I liked it. I really liked the opening title sequence. It's uh, Of all the title sequences we've had, it is the one that actually feels like some energy and effort was put into it. That's what I was going to say. And, and it also hasn't aged that badly because the cardboard cutout styling is relatively timeless. Much like South Park, really. It's, 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 it's something that doesn't age. You know, when I think to the the intro to Ultimate Gamer or the intro to Gamesville, and I think I even said on the Ultimate Gamer episode, I feel like the intro to Ultimate Gamer is exactly the same as all of the other intros that we have seen. It's very sort of Control C, Control V, but you've just changed the name. Don't you know? Don't if you're going to copy my homework, just change it ever so slightly so we don't get caught. This is the first intro that we've had where I feel like this is really reflective of the show we're about to see. On today's show, I dogfight for real in a coffin-sized plane. Metal Gear Solid faces up the splinter cell. We take a look back at the making of Earthworm Jim, and we kick off the world's first professional virtual football tournament. The world's first professional football tournament. Question mark, quotation marks. Yeah, I've got a bit of a, a, a question around that one. You did like four of them in Games Master. So you got five of them, in fact. That wasn't a question. That was just a factual statement. <laughs> and you're right. But a key part of when Games Attacks is that Dominic Diamond is in a different location every week. So here we are, week one. Where are you, Dom? Hey, viewers, welcome to my brand new show. Today, I'm helping out my mate at his fruit and veg stall. I'm selling double entendres by the pair. Now, this is your show as well, although technically I'm the only one that gets paid. Um, so I'd like you to write me letters. Here's one that we made up. Uh, Dear When Games Attack, how do I finish the train level on Splinter Cell Pandora tomorrow on the Xbox? From Ahmed Harazi. Well, Ahmed, we've actually started the When Games Attack tips hotline. Yes, it costs £400 a minute. We've got a lovely little automated menu system that will get you to the tip you want in under an hour. And remember, don't get permission from whoever pays the bill. They're probably too busy. We used to say this, or at least I, I, I made this point a, a couple of times in the later series of, of Games Master. I always really liked it when they were upfront about the fact that they were being cheap with their jokes. Or, you know, like, you know, and they've got a bit of this as well because they, you know, read out a fake letter that, that someone has sent to them. But, you know, it's Dominic Diamond holding some melons to his chest as he's at this farmer's, at this market on a cold day. It's a very obvious gag, but what works for it is not that he's holding the melons, it's that he then says, and I'm selling Dublon Tondra by the pair. Admitting it's a cheap joke makes it a much better joke. And he immediately follows it with another, which is, as you mentioned, the fake letter from a kid asking for help on Splinter Cell. Bringing back the consultation zone. Well, the consultation zone that requires you to sell a kidney because Dom and Co have set up a very premium rate line to help him should only take about an hour at 400 quid a minute. Well, Patrick Moore is expensive these days. I did wonder, is was that also a jab at like some of the helpline stuff that was tied to Gamesville and some of the premium rate numbers that were tied to the other uh, video game shows? Could be. Just remember, don't get permission from the suckers who pay the bill. They're too busy. 
But Luke, do you know one thing that hasn't changed since Games Master was on the air? What's that, Ash? Oh, those Japanese game developers, they're crazy. They're proper wacky, ain't they? You know, the Japanese don't always produce games full of flawless perfection. Sometimes they're so barmy and quite literally rubbish, it's a blessing they're 6,000 miles away. So let's salute the little fellas today with our top five worst games that should never have ever left Japan. At number five, it's K2, Let's Go Hawaii. If the bad guys in this game are insect-hating sadists, then you can figure out who the good guys are. Yes, from the country that brought you economic instability and intelligent toilets, it's a mosquito-playing game thingamajig. Your job is to fly around and suck blood from different mosquito-hating families. But careful where you bite them, though, because if you nibble in the wrong place, they'll wake up and challenge you to a fight. This game may be original, but it doesn't stop it being barking. So pretty much every episode of When Games Attacks had this countdown, this top five. And we start kind of strong, because while I would argue whether some of these games should or shouldn't leave Japan, it definitely highlights some games that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. I like this as a top five for two reasons. I mean, there's the obvious thing of it's a little cheap of wacky Japan, hey, ain't they weird? There's a little bit of that to it, which I, which I don't love. But I, the, to put the positive spin on, just put my positive hat on for this bit. It is five games that wouldn't have been featured on a video game show otherwise. So that gives a thumbs up from me. But the other one is, and this is a bit of a basic one, it's spread out across the show. That we get four and five, we get five and four here, we get three and two later, we get one towards the end of the episode. It being spread across the show is a really nice pacing mechanic. Because if you'd have done all five here, it'd have been quite a slog by the time you get to number one. But it's a really nice pacing mechanic. It also means time can be spent on each one. It's not a quick five. It's not like Emily Newton Dunn's top five games of 2003, where she was just like, it's 13. It's Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Time can be spent on each entry. And this first entry at number five, it's a sequel to a game that did actually get released outside of Japan because it's Cartoon Let's Go Hawaii, the sequel to Mr. Mosquito. Basically, in the first game, you had to fly around, suck blood from a family of people. And if you got caught or if you sucked too much blood, they would try and pick a fight with you, a.k.a. SWAT you. Then this game came out and it was essentially, but what if, Luke, what if that Yamada family from the first game went to Hawaii? And the mosquitoes followed them there. But there's also another family that you can attack now, which means you've got two different types of mosquitoes that you can play as that have got different play styles, and the families have got different pressure points and things like that. And actually, like the, when I found Hardcore Gaming 101's write-up about this, Say. they talk yeah, they talk about the fact that like the there's no localization for this game, so it's quite tricky to find your way around. But if you go after the American family, it is in English with Japanese subtitles, it's just you've then just got to find out or have at least a relatively good understanding or at least, you know, can make your way through the pressure point system because that is in kanji and it's got kanji symbols and stuff. So you've got to try and figure out what that means. But you can get a broad sense of how to play the game even without it having a localization. Now, this game is one of two games on this list that is uh, on a specific wiki for games that may appeal to people that have specific taste, Luke, who may be into giantesses. Hmm. 
One of those people may have been the editor of the official US PlayStation magazine because they named the sequel as one of several Japanese games the publication wanted localized in North America. But according to Hardcore Gaming 101, it's an improvement over the original in many aspects. So if you do fancy playing this one, maybe play this one over the first one. Whilst, you know, I don't have a specific interest in giantesses, the actual gameplay mechanic looks kind of fun. Do you know what? It could be a pretty good fit for the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, just taking this core concept and putting it in a Western setting, or, you know, with Western developers, I think it, I, this looks fun. I think this looks like a fun game to play. This could be a fun multiplayer game as well, where you all control an individual mosquito and you've got to suck the most blood. Yeah. That'd be a, that'd actually be a really good party game. Call me, developers. It would be a very good indie game, this. Yeah. At number four, it's Love Smash 5. The sight of female tennis players fighting with rackets should tell you all you need to know. If this is the Japanese take on women's tennis, they should stay well away. Love Smash 5 strips women of their regulation tennis uniform and forces them to play in clothes woven in a pervert's dream. The ladies themselves have obviously been missing their lessons. They're rubbish. They either spend their time being hit with flying balls or falling over like a bunch of girls. Our next entry here... Uh, is very much on the wacky Japan scale of, of coverage here because this is a uh, a, a women's tennis game. Tennis. It's, it's, <laughs> well, no, I mean, you do Bucky O'Hare is. This is a tennis game. Whether you're playing it for tennis or not, it's a different story. But at its very core, this is a tennis game. Luke, this is a game that is marketed at people that looked at dead or alive beach volleyball and said, but what if I want to have a wank to a game that's an actual sport at this point? But Ash... Much like Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball, this game has a plot. I don't think the people that bought this game cared. Well, I mean, but I do. So here is the plot of this game of Love Smash 5, you'll be unsurprised to hear, is a sequel in the Love Smash series. A secret underground organisation has brought together the world's greatest tennis players, though this time they all happen to be attractive young women. What are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds of things like <laughs> These things happen. All right, sometimes they just happen to be all attractive young women. With faulty wardrobes. And amazingly as well, despite the fact that this is a sequel, a game mode has been removed. Doubles has been removed from the from this one, which was in 4. But there are now more characters, and this did get a re-release the following year as 5.1 uh, in the Simple 2000 series. More on that in a little bit. It's got some updated character models. Oh, good. Well, as long as they added some extra value to it. And that's the, well, that's the key thing. It's a value game. Well, that's simple 2000. I said, we'll speak on that in a little bit, but these are like budget titles, but bu budget wank material. Oh, a very budget wank material. Simple 2000, I think, have two or three titles in this countdown because uh, one of the other games that caters to giantess fans later on, it's also a simple 2000 gig. Oh, it certainly is, yes. That's it for the countdown for now, and we cut back to a close up of Dominic's Nuts. Hey! Don't film my nuts. You know, running a fruit and veg stall is a marvellous profession. You've got the early starts, the cold, wet mornings, the rude customers, and the prospect of a supermarket coming along and destroying your whole lifestyle. It really is marvellous. But don't film them. It's not that sort of show. I mean, they're surprisingly smooth. I was expecting them to be rougher. So in my notes, when I was writing this up, I had the melons thing. And, you know, it's like, it's holding melons. They're selling du Tondra. I then wrote, good gag, that. I then had this nuts one, and my first note was, less good gag, that. It's not as clever as the melons one. It's not as clever, but it got a proper snort out of me. Although what followed next 
had me going, yeah, at the screen because I am the son of a market trader. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so you're all about those early mornings and the cold weathers and the rude customers. And the supermarkets or, you know, big developers coming along and destroying your entire lifestyle because I saw it happen. It was a real thing. And uh, certainly around this time, it was it was coming to a head again because there was pressure to get markets out of town centres, which would include fruit and veg stands. I appreciated this little this little jibe against big market from Dom because it, it spoke to me and my family background, Luke. It also it's, it really reminds us of you know his anti McDonald stance uh, that he had in the early nineties when we did series two and three, and he had that you know big diatribe about it in on uh, Games World and things like that. I think it's just it's criminal. It's not a game. It's a walking advert. Uh, there are so many McDonald's signs all over the place. It's just the complete product placement. I think it's outrageous that this could be released as a game. And uh, please, please, if you have one protest march this year, make it about this game it's funny enough actually dom's got you know he, he has a, a real cult of personality about him and and i find him such an endearing screen presence that when he was talking about big supermarkets killing the local veg stores i did feel guilty that i buy my fruit and veg from uh, my local sainsbury's but then i had to sort of stop myself being like but it's my only option now i don't have a local fruit and veg market in my in my small town i have to go to the sainsbury's but Luke, what if you don't want a lifestyle that can be destroyed by a massive multinational corporation? Let's take a look at today's Behind the Games. Uh, my name's David Perry. I'm the president of Shiny Entertainment based in Newport Beach, California. The first game we made was Earthworm Jim. Earthworm Jim was about um, a character that was this worm who was a regular worm. And out in space, we have um, this intergalactic battle fighting over this incredible suit, which the person who has this suit controls the universe kind of thing. One thing that I think made Earthworm Jim work was there was no rules, but we could basically do anything we wanted. And we realized it's fun to beat up the character that you're playing. It I'm not sure if, if Nintendo, when they first looked at our game, were really, they probably thought, what are these guys on? Like, what are they doing? I mean, it's, this, this thing's crazy. But the fact is, it definitely seemed to strike a chord with gamers who were, who were used to playing games that weren't funny. Yeah, we're going to speak with Dave Perry. Not that one. The one from... <laughs> Did your notes have brackets not that one as well? I made sure to write down David Perry to make sure that we, I can delineate the way between the two. But yeah, no, this is Dave Perry from Shiny to talk about Earthworm Jim. And this is, I think this is quite a cool little interview. It's not Dom speaking with uh, Perry, but it is David Perry in two different locations, you know, chatting about, uh, you know, the history of Shiny, the history of Earthworm Jim, what happened to Shiny Entertainment, them selling it to Interplay and all this sort of stuff. But it tells a nice little, a good story. There's not a whole lot of footage of Earthworm Jim. A lot of it's like recycled footage of, you know, the, the small amount that they have. But it's a nice little nod to Retro's past, particularly Games Master, because we had a big uh, Earthworm Jim presence in, in Series 4. So yeah, I, I think this is a really good little feature. It's a very honest feature as well. I had a lot of time for it. There's not a huge amount to say for it. There was a couple of fun little factoids like, oh, Shiny came from us listening to a certain R.E.M. song. And I'm like, that's kind of funny because R.E.M. hate that song now. Well, Michael Stipe hates that song now. He's neither Shiny nor happy anymore. And just talks about things that did go against the grain at the time having a character that gets beaten up like your 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 hero is also a character you kind of want to see bad things happen to because they're funny 
And one thing I did note is that there's a lot of licensed music in the background of this segment. Because the first song is a song called Crazy, which is by Hannah Jones. And then we get clips of R.E.M., Shiny Happy People. And then we go back to Crazy. And then we're back to R.E.M. And I watched it a couple of times trying to work out why they made those cuts when they did. And after the fourth attempt, I gave up. Well, I mean, like Tim uh, Parry was the, the producer of Gamepad. There's a quote from him that I'll, I'll, I've got for later on in the episode. He talks about how the fact that he kind of is envious that when Games Attack had the big budget that it did, because that's a, another thing we you know should note about this show. Although the Dom links where he's you know, literally in a market stall or things like that might look cheap, money is being spent on this. Like Dom is being flown out to America. Caroline Flack was being flown out to Japan. I think this is probably the biggest budget show we have had since the, the the fall of Games Master and it just so happens it's also the Dominic Diamond show and I think that budget can then be used to for whatever reasons you fancy getting yourself some licensed music in there if you've got money to burn you may as well burn it and also it was cheaper back in those days well it was and actually it's almost in keeping of what Dave uh, Perry not that one is talking about with Earthworm Jim which is just the it was the 90s. There were no rules. We could do whatever we wanted. And it's Nintendo weren't sure about it, but it struck a chord with gamers. But there is a story from, from Mr. Perry, not that one, in this little feature here, which is if you're a creative and you've got your own idea, be smart about it and hold on to it. I sold Shiny um, to a company called Interplay. That was a mistake because ultimately I lost control of Earthworm Jim when I did that. So for me, it was a kind of a sad thing because I went into management and the world of management is horrible compared to programming because when you're a programmer, you have you know, people that appreciate what you're doing. When you're in management, everyone hates you, right? Don't sell it onto someone else because then they take it off of you. Eastman and Laird held on to the turtles. They got very good licensing deals. So they were always in charge of the turtles. They didn't just sell it off to some big multinational thing. But they did do it with Earthworm Jim. And that's how you get Earthworm Jim 3D. Sorry, Kirk Ewing. And Dave also talks about, you know, you go into management, which is horrible. And when you're a manager, everyone hates you. Wait, this is a quote from that Dave Perry, not marketing manager Dave Perry. (laughs) Okay, cool. We're fine. Yeah. But he wants to go back to those days. It was fun. And that was like a fun little interview with Dave Perry. No, not that Dave Perry. We scoured the Premiership and the Championship in search of the best Pro Evolution players to stage the world's first virtual football competition. Eight pros have to compete through group rounds and knockout stages until one of them has earned the right to be crowned the When Games Attack Football Champion. Which brings us on to our next segment of the show. You see what happens if you split up your top five? The flow of this show is is quite rapid pace here, but it's also not like... We're still getting some substance in there, but we're on to our third segment of this show already, which is called I'm Famous, Give Me a Joypad. Very, very Series 7 of Games Master as a title, that. But also I'm a bit confused because as far as I know, this entire section throughout the series is Pro Evo Tournament. Yeah, it's one big Pro Evo Tournament, and that would be because that's the game that they're playing at the moment. In that Edge uh, interview... That's the game that they talk about, is that we're always just playing Pro Evo at the moment. And the only other game that uh, Dominic Timon talks about is SpongeBob, 
and Shrek 2 because he's playing them with one of his daughters at the time. And he tells quite a funny, quite a charming little story, actually, about how they completed Shrek 2, but there was only like 88% complete because they hadn't gone through and got all the collectibles and stuff. And so his kid was like, oh, I want to go play the new SpongeBob game. And Don was like, but you haven't 100%ed this game yet. You need to go through and get all the other collectibles and stuff. And Kirk Ewing was like, you can't make her 100% a game, Dom. She's six years old. Just let her play the next game. Ah, you gotta, you got to start instilling that, that sense of duty in them young, Luke. Luke, you're a recent dad. Your kid better have all those Chaos Emeralds before she looks at another Sonic game. My kid is not going to enjoy me as a, as a video game dad because she'll want to play new games and I've got no interest in them. I've been like, let me show you my games. She's like, dad, your games are old and shit and I've got no time for them. But look, he's a hedgehog and he's blue. <laughs> dad, I'm playing one with three of my friends online and we're all playing it together. But you can play this one on your own and that's way more fun. You don't have to play it with other people then. Look, it's Dracula and his dialogue is terrible. <laughs> But this is a Pro Evo football tournament, apparently the first professional football tournament that they have scoured the Premier League and championships for. Not 100% certain which Pro Evo this is because Pro Evo Soccer 3 came out in October 2003 and Pro Evo Soccer 4 came out in August 2004, but I'm not 100% certain if that was August 2004 worldwide. And it also depends, when would they have been filming this and would they be going with the newest game or would they just be going with the game they know the best? Now, the fact they don't really make a massive deal of the game means that it's not a paid corporate jolly from Konami, more's the pity, probably because it wasn't a pachinko machine, but it also means they're not under any pressure to kind of to show it off or be the latest game. So let's just go with Pro Evo Soccer. It's definitely not Pro Evo 5, which didn't come out until 2005. Yeah, this is very much a Simpsons. Oh, let's just say it's Pro Evo 2003. They don't say it either. And I wonder if that is because they don't want it to be dated, knowing that a new one is coming out. You know, one of the things they talk about with Gamepad and one of the problems that Gamepad had, and, and you and I talked about this when we reviewed the episode, was they filmed it so far in advance that you've got to try and have reviews that aren't going to date also their episodes that are repeated years later so you've make, got to make sure or months later certainly so you've got to make sure that you're not trying to date yourselves too much and i think that when games attack because it's not really reviewing anything new it doesn't have like a review section like ultimate gamer does they are specifically picking things that won't date the show for when bravo inevitably replays this time and time again in the months to come so you just say it's pro evo and that's it we'll just use the we'll use a blanket pro evo statement but we have eight pro players working their way through group matches and rounds to earn the title when games attacks champion hey ho folks it's match one in our ginormous football challenge we've got lee sharp against scott fitzgerald i'm going to kick off with lee first of all sharpie welcome thank you very much. the legend that is sharpie Let's talk about the Sharpie Shuffle, first of all, the most, one of the greatest goal celebrations ever. 
Uh, how did you come up with that? Did you did you like think right? I'm gonna I'm gonna get the corner flag. I'm gonna deliberately do a mic thing. I don't just come to you. No, it's it's all sort of uh, off the cuff. I think I think I've done it ten pin bowling or something the week before, so <laughs> seemed like a, a good opportunity to do it again. You are playing as England, so presumably you'll you know tear off into a two in a lead and then blow it all in the second half. Well, uh, hopefully not. Hopefully <laughs> not. But I know, I know that the Italians are a bit defensive, so yeah. we're, we're gonna have to break them down. Yeah. Some good players on here. Wayne Rooney, just about the best player in. Revolution 4, I guess, if you want to get the ball to him a lot. Oh, definitely. We'll have to feed, feed the Rooney man and, uh, yeah. and see what he can do for us. Yeah. You're playing against Scott Fitzgerald. Scott, a bit of a fairy tale for you, of course, because you, I mean, you, you, you came rather late to football, didn't you? Tell us your story. I did, yeah. I was uh, playing non-league and uh, managed at the age of 23 to uh, get into the pro game and uh, made my mark last season at Watford, so uh, just continuing on with it now. This has got some real, like, Dominic Diamond's presentation around this because... He's presented this in his big host and everything. They've got commentary on this. They do post-match interviews in the style of like football interviews and stuff. Even though this is just filmed in the When Games Attack offices, it has got a bit of style and pizzazz to it and a bit of effort being sort of put in to make it look different than the other segments of the show, much in the same way that when they do their head-to-head, Dom's in a different costume for that as well. So I, I, I quite like a lot of that. And also, it's a fun series-long tournament. Series-long-ish, anyway, because this is like eight or so weeks. I think the show ran for 20 weeks eventually. Um, I don't know what they did as a tournament after that. Maybe they just did a different tournament. Maybe they scrapped it completely. But this is at least a reason for you to come back every week to get the next installment of this. Like we were talking about with the, the Tekken 3 uh, one that ends off Series 7. Like We wanted more of it, like you know, do it as multiple shows. Well, we take a look at Group A in this tournament because they're doing the group stages. And we've got Alexis Nicholas and Darren Curry from Brighton, ex-England pro Lee Sharp and Watford Scott Fitzgerald. And Luke, this may shock you, but because they've not played any games yet, they're all on zero points. With the end result that we get here, it's not much of a changed scoreline at the end. Oh, I don't know. Half of the players in Group A have got a point. (laughs) There are some ones on the board uh, when this is all over. And Dom appears in his sheepskin coat. And we've got Lee Sharp versus Scott Fitzgerald. And the first thing that Dom wants to do is talk to Lee about the Sharpie Shuffle, one of the greatest goal celebrations ever, apparently. He is, I think, probably the most famous player that we have in this because, you know, Lee Sharp is a bit of a legendary Man United player. Nearly a decade at United with multiple appearances there. Did play for England. He got like a load of caps for England, but he certainly did, you know, play on the national team and stuff. So he, I would say, is probably the most famous player that at least we've seen from the Group A stage uh, that's part of this. He also had spells at Leeds United and Bradford City. But Luke, most relevant to us is he retired from pro football in 2003, but renewed his fame after a number of reality television appearances, including Dancing on Ice, Celebrity Love Island, and Celebrity Wrestling. <laughs> yeah, Celebrity Wrestling. I mean, there's a bonus episode. If we if we ever do another uh, uh, UCP Extra, there's one to have a look at. Do you know, we've avoided covering wrestling too much while we talk about it, because it is your day job. But I think celebrity wrestling, you'd have to make the exception for, because make it's just so that. bad. Oh, it's awful. Terrible show, that. It's not even Power Glove bad. It's just bad, bad. But he's uh, stayed on as a commentator as well, uh, doing international coverage of the Premier League for both ESPN Star and the Abu Dhabi Sports Channel. And most recently, 
has began competing in professional golf tournaments. Like all good sports athletes, you retire to golf. <laughs> but he's actually making money at it. Shout out to Lee Sharp as well, because he retired. He moved across to Iceland in 2003 and announced his retirement there after playing one season. And he came back to play for a Sunday league football team in the Kidderminster League. Because like, ah, I'll do I'll do one season playing for Garforth Town. Can you imagine being their opponents and they're on the they're on the Sunday league pitch and you look across the pitch and there you see a guy that won eight caps for England. It's <laughs> Lee Sharps on the other team. And it's just like, oh, I should have had a lion. I could have had a bacon sandwich instead of being here. Scott Fitzgerald, on the other hand, it's not quite as illustrious of a career. Like in the interview that they're doing with Dominic Diamond, he's talking about how the fact that he's making his mark at Watford. And I mean, really, in a lot of his time at Watford, he was on loan to Swansea and Leighton Orient. And then he just sort of has a few stints at various other different places. His Wikipedia ends in 2015. Uh, with the line of, has intentions to carry on playing, but there's nothing more to be said about the next eight years of his professional career, apparently. He was playing for the other Sunday League team. (laughs) (laughs) But his run in Watford was pretty good. In fact, on the back of the season, when this would have been filmed, he scored 11 goals. He was the, the club's top scorer for that season. So not a bad player, but did start quite late. Even though he had been playing football from a young age, he was noticed quite late. And it was just that that call up to Watford that kind of suddenly he got noticed and suddenly he got that run. Shame there isn't more to say about him. Shame we can't say that he's also now playing golf. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. And it's it's funny as well because they talk about, you know, he came into this game late and you think, oh, how old was he? He was 23. Still still a very a young man still, but in football terms. Considering that, you know, Wayne Rooney and Michael Owen were making their names at at Everton and Liverpool at the age of 18, 23 is five years later. It's like dog years. In football, absolutely it is. But Italy versus England is apparently going to be some kind of grunt fixture game. (laughs) Anyway, never mind that. We're back to the top five. At number three, it's the Dane Bijin. We're not going to judge this game. We'll let the facts speak for themselves. An alien gremlin slash crab looky-likey descends from space and bites an innocent bikini-clad girl on the beach. She falls into a deep sleep and wakes up the next day to find, naturally, she's grown into a 300-foot-tall uber babe. As a member of Japan's special forces, it's up to you to destroy her by piloting a helicopter and distracting her with loud dance music and a delicious giant cake. We said we wouldn't judge this game. We lied. It's obscene. And yes, we start off at number three with Dine Bijin, a.k.a. Oh Bloody Hell, It's Another Giant Hess Fetish Game. Yes, uh, this is uh, about a girl who is in a bikini and she's bitten by an alien crab and she grows to a height of 48 metres, continues to attack Japan in her bikini and you have to slow her down with tanks, helicopters, planes, all while taking pictures in order to analyze how she came upon this condition. Now, you might think a lot of that sounds a bit creepy and a bit weird, and you're probably right. And, you know, Ash, you mentioned the the giantess thing. You might be looking at that and think, that sounds a bit creepy, that sounds a bit weird. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to tell you, whatever floats your boat as long as it doesn't sink your ship, that's your bag, have at it. 
I am not going to kink shame anyone for being into giantesses, particularly with Resident Evil Village out there, because God damn it, there's a lot of fans of that vampire lady. Absolutely. We are not ones to kink shame here. However, this character's 17. Yee. Yeah. But anyway, so Simple, uh, who were the, the people behind this, we, we mentioned them earlier with the, the previous game. They'd start, they were doing games on the PlayStation 1 budget games and then rebranded themselves to Simple 2000 for the PlayStation 2. Uh, they were previously just Simple Series. And they're called Simple 2000 because all of their games were sold at 2,000 yen, about 15 quid. So these are proper, like, budget titles. And apparently this game was released in Europe as Demolition Girl, though I will tell you this, Ash, I hadn't heard of it previously and I never saw it when I was working at GameStation. And I saw a lot of games come through those doors when I was working at GameStation. The following year from this, this never made it through the door. Yeah, but Europe doesn't necessarily mean United Kingdom. Even, like, absolutely. And even so, we saw some things come through and this is not one of the ones that I did see. So it's not exactly a UK release. But yeah, probably, you know... Europe. But in addition to tanks and attack helicopters, you also distract her with loud dance music and cake. You know, like you do. If They never tried that with Godzilla. No. They never tried having a rave and a big fucking cake. I was about to say, it sounds like a plan from a Muppet movie. But it's also the entire setting is back to the 1950s B-movies, not even like the Godzilla or any of that kind of series. But Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, you know... All those, all those kind of like, hey, what if radiation made big? Exactly, yeah. I mean, like, there's a series of movies in in Japan from Toho called uh, Daimajin, and that is the title of this. I mean, you're pointing to it across there. Yeah, I've actually got the Blu-ray of it over there. I've been sat, because I've got the, the Daimajin collection upstairs that I bought sort of 10, 15 years ago or so. It's been sat there, and I've, I've watched it when I bought it, and I've read a real hankering as of late to re-watch that. I haven't got it on the Blu-ray, I've got the DVD set, but I have had a real hankering to re-watch that as of late. At number two, it's Mobile Suit Gundam AUG versus Titans. We've put this in for a couple of reasons. Firstly, for its ludicrously long-winded title, and secondly, because... Well, quite frankly, we're sick of this whole giant transforming robot genre, which seems to be ludicrously popular in Japan for reasons unknown to us. The problem is the robots are just dull, and we'd rather watch a bunch of old men fighting outside a pub, which I'm going to do right now. The number two entry here is really just for Dom to make fun of its title, because this title is Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam AEUG vs Titans. Yeah, Dominic's just like, it was here for two reasons, the stupid title, and I'm sick of the absurd transforming robot genre. The robots are dull, they'd rather watch people fighting outside a pub, and Dom's going to do that right now. Uh, Dom is certainly not alone in this feeling, but he is in a minority because there have been enough people liking these giant fighting robot games where, at time of recording, there are over 250 Gundam games out there. There are t- and 250 goddamn games out there. I was trying to think then because, you know, he's, he's sick of uh, seeing these giant transforming robots and stuff. And I was like, how did the Michael Bay Transformers movie come out at this point? But it's not out for another couple of years yet. But he had been to Japan a few times. And also we'd already had things like Pat Labore and Manga had gone through its entire wave in the 90s. And there were a number of robot based series there. So he was just kind of like lumping them all in together, even though that, you know, Gundams aren't really the transforming robot type of yeah. thing. It, it, was a, it was a cheap joke, and also it doesn't entirely work because some 
Gundam games have actually left Japan. The only real like write-up I, I sort of found of this game um, isn't particularly interesting. I, the only reason I copied and pasted it is because I've just recently reread uh, Ready Player One. And this just sounds like it's an excerpt from Ready Player One. It, it sounds like it could have been written by Ernest Klein in a published work of fiction, which just says, Mobile Suit Z Gundam AEUG vs. Titans is the sequel to the very popular Mobile Suit Gundam Federation vs. Zeon DX. It is based on the Zeta Gundam series that is set eight years after the one-year war between the Federation and the Principality of Zeon. Note AEUG stands for Anti-Earth Union Group. The game is played in a 2 versus 2 format. You can team up with another player or playing it alone, a CPU partner, which you can give commands to. Now, just ima imagine that being read by Will Wheaton and you get a real feel for, for an Ernest Klein passage from a book that is actually not needed for a book, but he felt the need to put it in one anyway. It was there because he wanted it to be there. I was saying this to my wife recently because uh, she was asking me, like, how has your reread of it been? And I said, my favorite thing about Ready Player One is that a character will make a reference to an obscure 80s TV show. And then another character will say, that's a really cool reference to that obscure 80s TV show. No one else talks about that TV show. You should start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Join us in part two to discover the number one game that should never leave Japan. If you think the life of a premature footballer consists of endless parties, countless shopping trips, flash sports cars, then you're in for a big surprise. To see what happens when the final whistle blows and to get the truth behind the rumours you read it in the papers, watch Premiership Diaries only on Bravo. <laughs> Premiership Diaries with Robbie Savage and Edu. Tonight at 10.30, exclusive to Bravo. Do I have to read again? Ta-da! <coughs> I'll get a ladder. Save up to half price on trees, lights, decorations, and cards at Woolworths. Uh, call me Fruity, please. Sorry? Call me Fruity. Call me Cutie. Call off Snooty. Call off Booty. Call of Duty, finest hour. Yes, yes, that's it, yes. Come to GameStation, because we understand mums. Until 5pm Sunday 19th of December, you can save £10 on our Steal of the Week. Call of Duty, finest hour. Do you want it on PS2? No, no, he's got an egg box. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Get this Christmas's must-have prezzy. A three-bay gift box. With free music videos, girls and games. And free video cards. This is titanium, one of the hardest metals known to man. The new Remington Titanium series is the world's only shaver with titanium-coated blades for a shave that's close and comfortable. The Remington Titanium Collection. It could just make all other shavers obsolete. In a room where six people are bound by a love of movie trivia. You've seen it, the DVD movie game with over a thousand questions, tons of movie clips, and one guy they call the DVD master. Seen it, it's movie trivia gone high tech. Have you seen it? On Bravo, we believe that comedy is no laughing matter. So join us for Comedy on Bravo. Starts December 27th from 2. Coming up in the alternative video game show part 2, me scared in a plane, the worst Japanese game ever, and Splinter Cell taking on Metal Gear Solid. But first, it's time to join Stevie Morgan in the commentary box for our football challenge, Lee Sharps England versus Scott Fitzgerald's Italy. I just, I gotta say, I really like the pacing of this, the the splitting up of the top five. Uh, we, you know, we had the Earthworm Jim feature. We moved into the celebrity challenge, if you will, then moved back into the top five to take us into the ad break, and we come back out of the ad break into that celebrity challenge finish up the top five and have our end feature and we've got that and the head-to-head as well they pack a lot into this half hour but breaking everything up never means like something feels like it's overstaying its welcome or it's even being rushed no i mean we've had shows both games master and non-games master that have felt too much like trying to get too much into too little time this just clips along nicely a name that just came to my head, Eurotrash. It's mm. got that nice cadence of lots of short little sharp segments, bits with the hosts, and we just clip-plop along between them. And that's where this sits. But I, I can't say I've got high regard things to say about the challenge itself. It is Lee Sharp as England, and it is Scott Fitzgerald as Italy. Scott's way better at this game than Lee is, but... Uh, but also, we don't really see a lot of what they're playing either. They haven't said how long each half is or how long they've set each half to. But what we get is an edited version of you know what they did in the in the office of the day, because the first half is forty seconds of actual like on screen time, and then the second half is about a minute and a half. So. I don't know how long the halves actually were. I don't know how boring the first half was that they had to cut it down to 40 seconds. But you don't really get a lot of action in that first half. The second half is much better, but a lot of it is just 
strong attacks by Italy parried it at the keeper. And that that's really about it. Yeah, I, I will say some of the runs on goal, it's a shame that none of these attempts converted to an actual goal because one thing we've got here, being now as we are in the fifth and sixth generation of video game consoles and, and, and this new era of football games that are football simulations, the gameplay is much more technical. There's much more to work with. We're now working in proper three dimensions. We've got much better AI. And the setups for some of these shots on goal are beautiful. If I watched the unedited footage, I don't think I'd find it boring because it looks like these two guys know what they're doing and therefore there is a back and forth. Just because it doesn't result in goals being scored doesn't mean that there wasn't worth there. But, and especially when you're editing it down as tightly as it's been edited down here, it does give the impression that they were kind of crap and nothing happened. That's how it came across to me. Is not that they were like crap at the game. I don't know how great Lee is at the game because uh, Scott's just feels so much better at it. Lee only has like uh, maybe one, two shots on goal throughout the entire game. Two even chances, really. It's all Italy driving forward, and even then, it's very early days of Games Master. You get a character with the ball, and you just run with that character run past as many defenders as you possibly can and get your shot as opposed to doing some passing maneuvers. There are passing here and there, but the majority of it is just get the ball to a player and have that player run on goal. There, I did find a um, a YouTuber who had loaded up When Games Attack with their commentary on it. And the thing that made me laugh the most about their commentary track to it was their surprise at how good the graphics were on this game. I think that they thought it was going to look crap because it's an old video game show. And his reaction is like, oh, these graphics are actually really nice. These these hold up quite well. I mean, we're in the era of the PS2 and the GameCube. And I mean, I've got a GameCube with the digital output going straight to HDMI. Some of those games just look like Resident Evil 4 on the GameCube looks really, really nice. Yeah. Like it still holds up well. Uh, so does Time Splitters. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of different games that they just, they look okay. You know, they, they, there are probably worse looking games on the Nintendo Switch right now. And I wouldn't say there are worse looking games on the PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X, but there are probably worse looking games that can be played on the PS5 and the Series X. This was a fine challenge. I think I would perhaps be better on it if I knew what else was coming, if I'd seen more of future shows. I think that I'd agree with that. Uh, what did you make of the commentary? Cheers, Dominic, and it's England who get us underway, playing in the traditional red, white, and blue. Now, as a commentator, it's my role to be completely impartial. But that's going out the window today. Come on, England! Stop the eye ties! They're on the attack at the moment. Who's going near him? No one! Oh, and my word, David James forced to make a save. Yes, folks, you heard me right. David James made a save. And, of course, given Italy's war record, if England were to take the lead, then we could probably expect most of the Italian side to change teams. So we could end up with an England side consisting of 22 players uh jokes are made on commentary about the italian war record well i suppose oh wait no it was the noughties bloody hell 
Yeah, so it's a, it's a character called Stevie Morgan is doing the commentary for this, and he does the whole like I'm supposed to be unbiased, but come on, England, sort of making fun of David James actually making saves. That's quite a funny gag. But then, yeah, it makes this whole big deal of like World War Two records with with Italy and stuff. And I don't think a lot of it particularly lands. And what it made me long for is Dominic Diamond commentary. Specifically, it's Dominic Diamond commentary with Jim Rosenthal. Yeah, that's exactly it. That that's what I'm after because this guy is doing his sort of like you know parody of uh, particularly the, the the Channel Five commentator. I don't think it lands as good as it could have done. There's a thing that Johnny Finch has got in the Games Master Oral History supplements where he talks about how they filmed some skits for the show, but they ended up not being funny. I think this is one of those things that they filmed and it ended up not being funny. I, I couldn't tell you, other than the things that have not aged well, I couldn't tell you anything that was said in the commentary. There was nothing memorable. No, exactly. Uh, England's best chance is when they get a, uh, a foul on them and Rooney just skies it from the set piece. Then Italy runs for everyone. James saves it again. Sharp gets another chance but doesn't shoot. Italy gets it, shoots it right to the keeper. Uh, another Italy attack as England go ball shy. And then we get the final whistle and it's nil-nil. As I said, there were some good attempts on goal, just none of them happened. Well, as nil-nil draws go, that was a pretty good nil-nil lead. A great chance for Rooney. Yeah, it was, a, it was a shame he just didn't pull the trigger a bit earlier, really. Yeah. I thought he had a, a, he had a good chance, but uh, yeah, not, not a bad performance, first game. Now, Scott, I think even Lee would agree that probably Italy had their, their better share of the chances. Zanetti threw twice two massive runs from deep in his own half. Why didn't you pass when you were in the box? Well, he just, he just saw a few gaps there, you know, and he carried on running through and... Uh, Unfortunately, he's lost a bit of composure. As I say, he should have given it to a striker, really, who might have uh, been able to finish them chances. But then we get post-match Dom doing his analysis and he talks about the great chance for Rooney. Italy had a few chances for Zanetti. It's football banter, Luke. It's football banter, but as I've said you know, in our previous Games Master Life, I like it when they take it seriously or they pretend that it's they're serious football managers talking about their players. I like that aspect of it. They played into it, and I appreciated that. Sorry, I know we're supposed to be reviewing when games attack, but for some reason I put in a clip from the Adam and Joe show. Yes, we get a chorus of children singing a theme to footage of two bear puppets called Queenie and Cuggly, fighting, all for the benefit of part of the show called Head to Head. Now, I've got some some thoughts on one of these <laughs> names, because mm. Queenie, fine. Now, Cuggly can mean one of two things. The first is Cute Ugly. So when it's so ugly, it's cute. And the other one, the C stands for something very different. Hmm. Starts with a C, ends with a T, rhymes with bunt. Ah. Yeah, it's probably that one, though, isn't it? <laughs> it probably is. But I love that Dom has gone full Mr. Rogers with this and he's his lovely casual pastel jumper. The sky is blue and he has his two puppetry pals by his side. These are Johnny Finch's childhood toys that he kept hold of and thought it'd be really funny to have featured in this show. They were his and his brothers. And 
Tom is quoted in that supplement that just said, I spent all of Games Master desperately trying not to be a kid's TV presenter. And then here I am in a sensible colored sweater doing links with a couple of hand puppets, the quintessential sign of awful kid's TV presenters. But don't be lulled into a false sense of security that everything here is going to be decidedly suitable for children. No, because Dom's got Raz Mags. He doesn't just have Raz Mags, Luke. He specifically has a magazine called Ravers. Not only does he have a magazine called Ravers, it's a magazine called Ravers from 2003. It's volume nine, issue three, don't you know? <laughs> that contains a feature on Ron Jeremy. It also has Confessions of a Nympho, Saucy Sam sharing another hot secret. You can grab a handful of Sarah's bags of funds and there's more fresh flesh in this than a cannibal's kitchen. And it costs £2.75. And this is the one bit of research I've done in over three goddamn years of this podcast where I finished it and I thought, what am I doing with my life? That was some poor researcher running down to the shop to buy that because we need a prop for this. In fact, actually, if you know what month that came out, that'll probably give us an indication of when this was filmed. I would argue if it's volume nine, issue three, I would say this was March, which may also indicate it was just found on a railway siding. Because even though the sound effects are dubbed in, that magazine does look decidedly crinkly. Having said that, though, Ash, there's some really good articles in there. And that's what Dom's bought it for. Uh, I did like the line, more fresh flesh than a cannibal's kitchen. I thought that was remarkably clever and uh, probably more than this magazine deserved. But we are here for some serious business i suppose this i suppose this is the closest we get to a review in the show uh and it is them putting head to head two games in a similar vein of category those being metal gear solid 2 sons of liberty and tom clancy's splinter cell pandora tomorrow this splinter cell game i had forgotten about and i'm amazed i had because this game was very well received in fact this game got as almost as much acclaim as metal gear solid 2 did in the time frame yeah this is one of those and i've said this quite a few times uh on this sort of podcast journey that we've been on since games master ended it is a cover that i re- i recognize it's a cover that i remember because i saw it so many copies of it when i was working at game station selling it second hand so when they said pandora tomorrow i knew exactly what that cover looked like do you want to know one other great thing about this game, Luke? What's that? It's got Michael Ironside in it. <laughs> Five stars, immediate win. We haven't had a Paul Verhoeven connection in a little while, so it's nice to have Ironside back. But that's what Cugly's looking after, and Queenie has Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty, which is Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. If you like video games and you're listening to this podcast and I have to actually explain metal gear solid or metal gear solid 2 sons of liberty then i i think you might be on the wrong podcast but this game was huge a revised expanded edition was released the following year called metal gear solid 2 substance and then there was the hd version as part of the solid hd collection and then we have metal gear solid master collection volume 1 which is due out for ps5 xbox nintendo switch and windows in 2023 It's a game I've not played. A friend of mine was really into uh, Metal Gear Solid, so he was very excited for Metal Gear Solid 2. In fact, when I was looking at the research for this and sort of how, you know, this received universal acclaim and it's one of the highest rated PlayStation games, well, PlayStation 2 games that the the console ever had, I was 
quite surprised by that because it was always my understanding that Metal Gear Solid 2 is thought to be the Bobbins one. Like people really liked the first one, thought the second one was really silly and really stupid, particularly because you end up playing as a character that isn't Solid Snake for the majority of it. Spoilers. And then people really liked um, Snake Eater when that came out a few years later. I or think came, a lot... Oh, sorry, sorry, it comes out one week after this episode airs. Sorry, I checked that earlier. I was like, when was it about Metal Gear 3? Oh, it's good it came out after this episode took place. It's like one week, came out like November 2003, 2004 even. I think a lot of the backlash against 2 was because of the whole switcheroo. The bait and on, switch. Yeah, the bait and switch on the lead character. I think once people actually kind of like sucked it up and just got into the game, they discovered it was a great game. I mean, it sold, what, 7 million copies in its first couple of years? That's about aliens, isn't it, this one? It involves a group of terrorists who call themselves the Sons of Liberty. Um, they want to kill the President of the United States. There's, I mean, there is a, we'll get to it as we go into this article. There is a lot to take in with Metal Gear Solid 2, and part of that is actually explained by changes made whilst the game was being developed. But that, I think, is a round two question, so we'll get to that in a little bit. Round one. Graphics. Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty offers realistic character animation with action-style body movements and detailed facial expressions. It's clear the designers wanted to make this sequel look as real as possible. The key to Splinter Cell Pandora Tomorrow's impressive graphics are its lighting effects. Sam Fisher's stealthy goings-on through the light and shade create an effective atmosphere of mood and intrigue. But which one is the best? Sixty-three percent of the hundred gamers we surveyed said Metal Gear Solid had better graphics than Splinter Cell. Round one to Metal Gear. Two rounds to go. Our first round is graphics, and they claim that what they've done is surveyed a hundred gamers to get this score. I've written here they've surveyed a hundred gamers. Dot dot dot. Apparently, it's actually fifty gamers from a drama school that they just asked the same question to twice. Or they just looked around the office and said, like, what are you picking, what are you picking, what are you picking? Okay, I was like, uh, let's say 63%. Given how easy it is to actually poll opinions of people at this point, because broadband is a thing, I kind of want to believe that maybe they did actually do the due diligence on this one. Mm, maybe. Well, you remain sceptical. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I will remain we'll sceptical on this one. I've, I've seen Tetsujin. I, I will remain sceptical on this one. But they say Metal Gear Solid 2 offers realistic character animation, action-style body movements, which sounds like something you'd find on a toy package, but talks about the facial expressions, and designers wanted to make the sequel look as real as possible. Splinter Cell 2 is all about the lighting effects. You sneak around in the shadows, it creates mood and environment and atmosphere. And they go to this poll of 100 gamers, and it's not a landslide, but 63%, so 63 people, went for Metal Gear Solid 2. So it it's a definite victory. It's first round to Metal Gear Solid 2. And I've got to be honest, I thought it was going to be a cakewalk for Metal Gear. I thought it had a bit of an easy win on its hand here. But we get into the story side of things and talk about how like Metal Gear's got a very ambitious and convoluted story. But just it's a high concept story that's usually reserved for Hollywood blockbusters. But because it is not ambitious and or convoluted, 
it is more of a decisive win for it. 76%. So, you know, nearly 80% of the people, you know, nearly eight in 10 people voted for Splinter Cell. It's a much more decisive one than, than Metal Gear got for graphics. Yeah. And we cut back to the puppets. Cuggly's taking a bow. And Dom says, this is because no one alive understands a Metal Gear Solid plot. I'm not saying it's completely untrue, but it can get quite intricate. I mean, it's kind of what Kojima's known for. In the case of Metal Gear Solid 2, the plot got rewritten a lot as development went on because, first of all, the game was going to be based around nuclear weapon inspections in Iraq and Iran. And Solid Snake was trying to stop the Metal Gear while it was located in an aircraft carrier. There was time limits. And six months into the development cycle, the political situation in the Middle East just skyrocketed. And despite Kojima being Kojima, he went... Ooh, maybe, maybe step back. There are a few nods in the finished game to that original plot, including a tanker, but that's it. And then more changes came late in development after 9-11, because a sequence was meant to take place um, involving the Statue of Liberty and crashing through half of Manhattan, and that was just removed. No. No not poking this line, not doing this. Also, interestingly, the Japanese spelling of the name Raiden was changed from the katakana to the kanji because the former form of the name resembled Bin Laden in Japanese. Bloody hell. Yeah. Yeah, like this game has got no luck on its side. But it's got a hell of a lot of very confusing plot. And genuinely... I'm excited for this Metal Gear collection because, well, I can go and play Metal Gear Solid 1 now and I can go and play 2 now. I'm going to like just having the games there with all the extra materials, all the documents, all the making of the artwork, the soundtracks, just having that kind of collection, like with the Ninja Turtle collection that Konami put out. It will be nice to have everything in one place. So I'm looking forward to this. And I was a little bit shocked that Pandora took this so decisively it's things like this that make me think that it's not a a legit polling of a hundred people because they are you know as dom's it's got the joke about the fact that no one alive understands a metal gear solid story that it so of course we picked splinter cell also you know it, it ties up the score somewhat that's true from a storytelling point of view it makes more sense but the final round to decide it It's gameplay. The hide-and-seek gameplay defined in Metal Gear Solid 1 is largely unchanged in the sequel. But there are some improvements. Now you can sneak past enemies by swinging beneath them and use a first-person mode for greater accuracy in firefights. If anything, Pandora Tomorrow involves even more lurking and sneaking than Metal Gear. Patience is absolutely essential as the gameplay mercilessly punishes the reckless or impulsive. But which game plays the best for you? of our survey said Splinter Cell Pandora Tomorrow had the better gameplay. Round three goes to Splinter Cell. Making Splinter Cell Pandora Tomorrow today's winner at two rounds to one. And both of them are lurking, sneaking, hide-and-seek type games. Uh, And Splinter Cell is one that will punish you for being reckless, whereas like Metal Gear's got some new modes to it, like, you know, first-person shooting mode and, and all of this sort of gubbins. Hanging from gantries and whatnot. Yeah. 
And I was genuinely then surprised to see that Splinter Cell took this. Splinter Cell wins with 67% of the vote, and so Cugly is this week's winner. I was genuinely shocked. I thought Metal Gear Solid 2 was going to be an easy win, unless, of course, my suspicions are correct and it isn't a 100 gamers polled thing, and it's just they don't like Metal Gear as much as... Well, they didn't really like Metal Gear that much. Luke, hear me out on this one. Obviously, Metal Gear, the genius of Hideo Kojima, the legacy of that franchise, the powerhouse of Konami, Splinter Cell, Michael Ironside. Mm. I see what you're saying there, yeah. Could be that. Can you imagine Kojima and Ironside working on a project together? Never mind Norman Reedus. So it means that Cugly is this week's winner, Queenie is the loser, and is in a blender. Did Johnny Finch have more than one puppet? Because this is not a fake out. They blend a puppet. They blend a puppet. They just don't blend. They just don't blend that puppet. They just blend a puppet that's within there. But this is fun. This is, again, I, I mentioned South Park earlier. This is a bit of a South Park ending to things. And we're going to we're going to blend this creature up. It's a bit dark, bit of humour. And oh my god, they killed Kenny. Next week, Queenie will just be back, and we'll do another thing where we kill whoever loses next time. But enough of horrific puppet murder. What is the number one game that should never leave Japan? Yoshinoya. Owner the Japanese would package what in reality must be soul-destroying work into a game full of excitement and action. You are a lowly restaurant worker who must serve Yoshinoya, some kind of noodle stuff, to a relentless stream of hungry customers by pushing the required button at the required time. If you're too slow, the customers fly into a fit so furious their heads swell up and you'll incur the blinding wrath of your boss. Yoshinoya takes the noodle as the most bizarre, questionable Japanese game we can definitely do without. So after recapping the previous tour, we get to our number one, Yoshinoya the video game based on the restaurant of the same name. It's a branded content game. Which they don't mention in this countdown, but this was as much of a paid-for marketing piece as Mick and Mac Eco Gladiators and McDonald Land and that recent thing that's come out with like Grimace, Grimace skateboarding. Gr- Grimace on a skateboard on the Game Boy Color. I mean, look, I'm no fan of McDonald's, but I've, I've got to give my kudos to that. That's a great little bit of marketing. McDonald's, they're not as evil as they used to be. The bar <laughs> Is that their new evil slogan? corporations. <laughs> they were not as evil as we once were. Not as evil as we once were. You're absolutely right. The bar for evil corporations has raised considerably, and it's amazing the guys that can skirt under it now. My my guess would be it's because it's not a a brand of or a chain of restaurants here. It's a chain of restaurants in in Japan and in America that they just might not have known that it's a chain of restaurants. I mean, I know they've been out to Japan and things like that, but maybe they just didn't know it was a chain. You know, the Yoshinoya franchise was known for beef bowls. At the time this game came out, there was a beef shortage slash crisis. So they were mainly serving pork bowls. You mentioned, you know, this being a a beef bowl thing. GameSpot's uh, review of the game, their hands-on review of the game was, it is quite possibly one of the greatest beef bowl simulators on the current generation of game consoles current so that's important so you don't compare it to the past generation or any future generations that's exactly they didn't want to go too big 
on their praise for this game by saying it's the best ever, just in case, you know, there might have been a really good beef bowl game on the SNES that big fans of that game will have kicked off at their, you know, of their praise for this new one. It was not the worst received of games, and it is tied in with a company that had been around for over a hundred years at that point. That franchise started in 1899. That is impressive. And like, yeah, it's, it's a bit of an overcooked style of game of, you know, you getting orders for people and if you leave them too long, they get mad and this that, and the other. Um, this review of it here says, calling it a cooking may be a bit of a stretch as it's more of an arcade style game where you run to each seat and hit the correct button to procure the appropriate meal from somewhere on the plus side stages are relatively short challenges that can be retried until you're able to clear them on the minor side it is a strictly single player affair a two-player competitive mode could have been quite something though on the other hand restricting the screen space might have made the game even harder but luke what if you don't like beef bowl games what if you want to play a game based around a similar franchise that focuses on curry because there was competition in the food game market at this point from another Japanese franchise, because Curry House Coco Ichibanya for the PlayStation 2 also came out in 2004, where Would You Adam and Eve It is basically kind of the same game, but for Curry. It's really funny because that review references that game and said and calls that game relatively plodding, whereas this one is much more fast-paced and streamlined. I reckon that review is probably in the pocket of the Beef Bowl people. Well, I mean, there's only one way to find out, Ash. That's next week's Head to Head. In video games, there's a lot of simulation of running around, driving around, flying around, shooting. But what's it like for real? Well, today, we're going to put a small orphan in one of these and find out. Unfortunately, that small orphan is me. Air Combat in California specializes in a unique kind of aerial paintball. The tiny stunt planes are dual control, so the instructor does the takeoff and landing, but other than that, they never touch the controls. Great! If you're feeling suicidal. This is something they were really promoting as like a big part of when games attack that's going to separate them out from the competition. We mentioned this with Ultimate Gamer a, a couple of weeks ago, which is that that was the first show that didn't feel stationary. Gamesville felt stationary, Thumb Bandits did, Bits did. They all felt like in-studio, on-location things, whereas Ultimate Gamer was a breath of fresh air because they went to Paris, they went to E3, they went to LA, they sort of went around and stuff. So they were promoting this when games attack to be like, this is our big thing. And Richard Wilcox talks about the, the budget for the show and said, despite the budget and production problems, Johnny set up some fantastic international shoots that generated a string of entertaining location reports for Dominic to get his teeth stuck into. It's the one part of the show where it consistently matches up against Games Master. This entire section, whilst tenuous in its link to video games, really, I mean, they're name checked. That's basically it. I was going to say, this has got no connection to video games at all it's great television uh yeah maybe i I don't know if i loved this as an on on location thing i mean basically what we've got is dom is walking around an airport talks about the amount of simulations of the video game world what's it like when you take those simulations and you try them in the real world well they're going to put an orphan in a plane by orphan they mean dominic and the planes are dual control, so it's like a learner car. And you're sat there with your co-pilot slash instructor. They do the takeoff and the landing, and I imagine are there in case you send them into a nosedive. But other than that, 
you are controlling the plane, which is a terrifying concept. According to their website, because this is still running, you are in control of the plane from 90% of the trip. They will take off, they will land, and you are in control for the rest of it. And like we see in this, you have you know the person next to you telling you what to do and how to control it. But according to them, you're in control for 90% of this. And they're very proud of this. They've been going for a long while. They write, we are the original civilian dogfighting school established in 1988. We have over 20 years of experience and over 50,000 guest pilots flown. Air Combat USA is the largest, most recognized air combat school in the world. We've been featured on hundreds of television shows, including The Apprentice and Good Morning America. Sadly, they do not mention when games attack. Possibly because Dom shits himself in one of the planes. We see Dominic putting on a flight suit and you can see he's really enjoying this bit. And I'll be honest, having put on a flight suit of my own for a Ghostbusters costume, there is something. It's not even like putting on overalls or a onesie. There is something about the zip, zipping up a flight suit and you've got all your pockets and you've got your patches or you've got your name tag if you're a Ghostbusters one you immediately feel about half a foot taller. Yeah, and he is quite terrified. It's amazing, you know, we talked about this in Series 7. He didn't want to do any of the traveling, not only just because, you know, he'd, he'd fallen in love and he wanted to spend all of his time with his new partner. He'd also got a fear of flying because he'd become incredibly reckless in his drug-fueled life that he was leading, you know, to the part where Virgin Planes wouldn't let him on planes anymore. They wanted to ban him from all flights that they ever had. So he really did discover, you know, really have this fear of flying. And he writes in the supplement that we went to America and I was even more out of control on that trip than any other Games Master transatlantic outing. Apparently he was really quite bad on this one, but he also writes specifically of this trip It is ironic that after refusing to fly abroad for features in Games Master Series 7 because of my fear of flying, I ended up dogfighting above the Pacific Ocean on Bravo. That, my friends, is the power of hypnotherapy. Because that's the other part of Dominic Diamond's journey here. He's in therapy now. But not only is Dom in his flight suit with his tag name Juvenile, Johnny Finch is here as well. Is this the only time we've seen him? on screen and this is definitely johnny finch this is definitely johnny finch because this guy looks exactly the same as the guy that's in the edge article because i was thinking is this johnny finch or is this someone pretending to be johnny finch because he is quite kind of like ignore the man behind the curtain <laughs> it's Oz. like i've never even thought to ask you know or try and speak to johnny finch because my brain just goes he won't want to. But there's a joke in here that I really do like, uh, and it really did make me laugh, because it's, you know, Dom and Johnny Finch having a bit of a laugh by the fact that, you know, they feel a bit silly, look a little bit silly. But then he says, my co-pilot looks totally normal, and this aging Ken doll walks up to him. It's a really, really funny line. It's it's a great gag, but I, I love this co-pilot, because this co-pilot walks out... And he's got the, the, the sun-bleached hair. He's got the impeccable white teeth. And he's like, you ready to kick some ass? And Dom's, Dom's like, like, yes. No, I'm, no, I'm terrified. <laughs> and he says, I think as I love is he does say, you know, like, oh, my instructor's crazy. Actually, he looks perfectly normal. And when he comes out, I'm like, he does not look perfectly normal. He looks half a step away from Gary Busey. You know, he's not, he's not full-born crazy, but he's definitely on the way there. We get engines starting, a salute to the camera, takeoff occurs. 
It's the first of three hits, and hits will be indicated by smoke canisters going off. As has been said multiple times, Dom and Johnny will be the only ones touching the controls now they're up there. And I do think it is a shame we don't have a camera inside Johnny's plane. I think that's a bit of a missed opportunity as well. Because what we essentially have is kind of the grainy footage from inside the plane, the grainy footage of outside of the plane of where they're banking. And then it is just our Asian Ken yelling at Dominic Diamond to bank, till the nose up, and then the constant line of, Now, get to speed, bring your nose up and kill him right now. Kill him. <laughs> yeah. It's not even uh, fire or, or <laughs> you know, or, or bang. It's like, no, kill him. Kill, kill him. him. There him. will be blood. Take down those Jerry's. <laughs> I don't care which war we're fighting in. We're still fighting in a war. <laughs> The constant string of instructions from the co-pilot is kind of cool, as is the evidence that Dom is clearly actually controlling this and banking. He swears a lot, understandably, and he's just getting settled and getting comfortable with the fact that unlike the joystick on his PC, moving this joystick has consequences. (laughs) When Johnny sticks him from behind and the first round immediately goes to Mr. Finch. He shafts him from behind. Proper brutally. And... The pilot kind of like doesn't just give instructions. He starts to give tactics and he's like, okay, leads him through it, banks around, and then Dom unleashes his dummy guns whilst the instructor is shouting, kill him. And it it goes a bit full metal bracket, but Dom does draw 1-1. We get into the second one again and he's got him again. The pilot is yelling at him with this whole like kill him, kill him thing. Dom gets the win, but in the process has shat his pants. So victory belongs to Dom. The instructor asks for a high five because of course he does. And they go into land. And when they're on the ground, he says, if we had a top gun trophy, we'd give it to you. Which is clearly bullshit, but it is carefully massaging the ego of a man who may have filled his kegs. But also I love Dom's like, I took my victory in a very modest faction as he runs up to his very good friend Johnny Fitch and starts like chest bumping him, going like, way, way, bend over. <laughs> it's so funny. When I think back to this segment, which I do think is quite good. I, I, was, I was a bit harsh on it earlier. I do think it is quite good. It's amazing how it is got nothing to do with video games whatsoever. There is no link between Air Combat USA and video games I scrolled through their website. They mentioned no video game stuff whatsoever. But Dom's very good at making it feel like this is a segment that is video game related. I think it could have been made more video game related with a bit of extra narration and maybe a bit of B-roll of the latest flight simulators. I mean, over the history of Games Master, we had so many different flight simulators and combat simulators reviewed. You just needed a bit of that because that would be a case of well, both me and Johnny have played F-16 assault aircraft on our relative PCs, and now we're going to get in a plane and try it for real. That's the extra context you need. But the thing is, I think my brain, at least, filled in that blank of, well, these guys have clearly played using flight sticks on a PC, and now they're going to go and try it for real. I think I think that's where the connection to games comes in. And I would argue that this actually has more of a connection to video games that way than Dominic at the Virtual Beach. Well, absolutely, yeah. That was, again, the new era of Games Master where they weren't just a video game show. They were sort of a video game and technology show, and that was more for that technology side of the bracket. 
But I, I, I'm saying it as praise 100% that with just three lines of dialogue in this feature, I walked out of this being like, that was a very good video game feature. It was only in the hours and days that have passed since watching this where I've suddenly got like, hang on a moment. That had nothing to do with video games. They just had a little jolly out to America and put Dom in a flight suit. Nothing against that. Very good. But I give them huge credit for making me think that this was actually connected to the subject at hand. But that's okay, because something definitely connected to video games. Next week, it's going to be Dominic leading a squad of crack space marines as they land on the planet of Halo. Well, that's it for today's When Games Attack. I'm off home with a banana for the wife. See you next time. And our outro line is Dom. It's very quick, and it's like, I'm off home with this banana for the wife. And that's it. Credits. It's, yeah, there's no, there's no lengthy outro. It is the equivalent of Games Master. We've had a packed episode. We're off. Goodbye. Five seconds of end credits. I, I mentioned earlier that like you know, some ending quotes that we've got about people's reflection of this, and a lot of them are Dominic Diamond, because in the 2004 press release, uh, he was quoted in there saying that all we ever tried to do with Games Master was make a show that we liked. That's what all the best shows do. That's what Johnny and I have done with When Games Attack, and we like it. It's not perfect, but if they give us money for Series 2, then it will be. Sadly, we do not get the second series of When Games Attack. And it, Dominic now, uh, in the, the, the supplemental part of the oral history, is thankful for it. He says, it only lasted one series, which is a shame because I think it is a genuinely funny show, possibly the funniest video game show ever. But I don't think I would have survived another series. I'm not joking. I would have ended up dead in a Las Vegas hotel room. And for that, maybe it's good that we don't have that second series. I, yeah. I, I mean, I would like to now check out the rest of When Games Attacks. I know I must have seen some of it, but there's because I've got bits in my head, memories of it from its original run, but I can't remember if I saw it all because I wouldn't have had access to Bravo at this point. Not reliably. Me neither. Like my first year of university, like we had a TV that we bought secondhand, um, but it didn't actually pick up any like signal we just used it to plug vcrs into and stuff so i wouldn't have had access to bravo whatsoever so all like this is my first experience to when games attack outside of passing interest in you know through youtube and stuff and i like you know, reading up about this that dom and the team are very very proud of this show he did an interview with maximum power up in 2020 where he said i'm not arrogant or blinkered enough to think that when games attack was a legendary tv show it was one big giant slightly blurred party for me it was really more about the lad culture as much as it was about video games i think there were some things that we did well we introduced the world to the late great caroline flack she was as you know a tv phenomenon and an outstanding television presenter and it was good to launch her career and i will say while he does mention the lad culture there's not quite as much of that in this episode, at least, which I'll be honest, I'm kind of thankful for. I am as well. Like, you know, like we talked about Tim Parry's comments from you know, Gamepad earlier, where he was like, maybe we should have just ended all of our links with knob gags or glamour models and things like that. I don't think that's particularly fair against when games attack. It's certainly, you know, later series Games Master, maybe, but I don't think it's fair on, on when games attack. And I think some of that bitterness is carried over in this other quote from that Edge 2005 article where he said, as someone who grew up on Games Master, I wish Johnny Finch, Diamond and the When Games Attack crew 
all the best in their program, and I look forward to sharing a guilty chuckle with them. It is, however, disappointing that the seasoned pros with the enviable resources of Gamer TV and Transworld International available to them have opted to revert to the laddish staples of the previous decade rather than attempt something new and unusual. Perhaps we will have to wait a little longer for a true adult gaming show. I mean, it wouldn't be on Bravo. You want to talk about the laddish culture of the previous decade? We have the idents that went with this episode. We had the cop block. We had the, you know, alias going on. We had all those other bits and pieces. That's what Bravo was well into the 2000s. I think it's really amazing when we look back on this period of time that, yeah, and I think maybe I'm looking at this from a wrestling perspective, um, but there's this kind of thought within the wrestling bubble that, the late 90s was a really bad period for uh, wrestling in terms of how it portrayed women on screen. Uh, but then that all changed when the 2000s hit. If anything, you go and watch those 2000s shows, it's way worse. It's, I, I think lad culture exploded even more in that mid to late 2000s period than it did in the late 90s. I think the show that they've made here with When Games Attack is again very reflective of the time frame that we're in and the channel that they're on. So that was our look at, well, the first episodes of When Games Attack. Luke, what did you think of it? I really liked it when I, I finished watching it. I had this real like, oh, that was good fun. And then I went and I watched other bits and bobs because there are other bits and bobs around on YouTube of When Games Attack. And I was like, no, this is actually a pretty decent show. I think there are some people who are very harsh on it. And I think the reason why people were harsh on it at the time is probably because of how Dominic Diamond conducted himself in interviews about other people's projects but i do think the show is good and i think it does hold up for the most part on things it was really only like after i'd finished watching it in the days that followed after watching it that i suddenly realized oh it's not really a video game show like the top five isn't really video game and it's about video games but it's not like here are five video games that you should be playing at the moment it's just like here are some wacky things to look at the earthworm gym feature is a fun little bit of retro stuff really the only thing that is about like modern day gaming that you would have expected from games master or bits or thumb bandits or games Phil or ultimate gamer or gamepad is in that head-to-head and really that head-to-head is more about the puppets than it is actually about the games themselves and then the final feature is nothing to do with video games outside of a couple of lines of dialogue and you've got the pro evo tournament in there as well so it doesn't really feel like a video game show it feels like a lad show that has some video game stuff in it and i'm not saying that as a bad thing it's just it was a real surprise to me that it uh, is only in the days that followed that i realized that because watching it it feels like a video game show but it's only in the aftermath you're like oh actually it's not really I think part of it may have been just that that immediate comfort of having Dominic back on our screens and just having a little bit of uh, familiarity after the last you know couple of weeks where even when we've not liked what we're watching we've always managed to find something positive to say but also I think all through those various shows at the back of my head at least it has been a case of it's not Games Master. Yeah exactly. And neither is this but by having Dominic by having some of that humour by having Johnny Finch both behind and in front of the camera. It was the closest we'd got up until that point. It was comforting to have Dom back on screen. And I was I was a bit reticent going into this episode because of 
the Edge interview and like the, the way that Dom talks about himself at this point. But I was pleasantly surprised that that is not on screen. So there's part of me that's gutted we're not doing more of this. Like that we aren't going to review more episodes. And maybe we will do. Maybe we'll come back to when games attack down the line and we can do some more of these on the, the Patreon page or something. Because I actually quite enjoy this. And I'd like to do an episode that's got some Caroline in it as well. Yeah, like it's definitely. That's got a Caroline segment in it. So I am keeping the door open for, for more when games attack. Maybe it's the best of the post-games master shows that we've done so far. I think it is certainly the closest in tone and humour especially to series five, six, and seven. Mm, yeah. But that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Next week, we're going to be looking at something that will serve as a bit of a precursor to our journey into the Games Master reboot as we look at Rab Florence's Consolvania, their YouTube show. It's our first show that we're doing in the post-Games Master era that isn't really a TV show. This is a YouTube show. I'm I'm really looking forward to that because I remember particularly some of the early Consolvania stuff. So it will be nice to go back to that. Yeah, and after that, we are also going to look at uh, Video Gaiden as well. That will be the the follow-on show from that, which is the TV show they got off the back of Consolvania. But that's in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You all rule. You can find us on social media on Twitter at underconsolepod on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to chat with us in real time, chat with other listeners, other fans of gaming, both modern and old, and pop culture from all decades, you can do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found in the show notes. Or if you want to watch me making an absolute clown of myself on Street Fighter VI or booking some of the worst wrestling possible on WWE 2K23, you can find me over on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash underconsolepod. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod, where you'll get access to our monthly community show, Under Console Nation, and the back catalogue of UCP Extra. If you're back to the £10 level, you get your name read out on the show like these fine folk, Adam D, Adam Warrington, Alexis, Andrew, Andy Smith, Arcadia Wild Bill, Chris Price, Chrissy Two Sticks, Colin Conroy, David Palmer, David White, Gordon Aiken, Gordon Brantz, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Mangagirl, I Am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe McGonagall, Joe Mitchell, Kevin, Kylie, Lawrence, Link, Mark, Matty Boo, Misha, Nick, Phil, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese, Richard Downer, Richard Major, Sean, Selena, Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, The Amazing Cliff, Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S, William Cottingham, Xanderthol, and Zach. We will see you in seven days' time as we head up north to Scotland. Take care, everyone. Good night. year 150 million Americans lose their pride, dignity and self-respect. That was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Totally outrageous behaviour tonight at 9 on Bravo. He's a suspicious person. Always on the beat. A weekend of programmes dedicated to real crime. Prime time this weekend on Bravo. 
footage of the most embarrassing, shocking, hilarious events ever caught on tape in totally outrageous behaviour at nine. Join us for that after Alias. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colours, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.